It's not often that you have a defense attorney saying his client's actions were like that of a used car salesman. But that's part of the defense being used for former bond trader Jesse Litvak in his second securities fraud trial. Litvak is accused of lying to customers about the prices of mortgage-backed securities. He was found guilty in 2014, but an appeals court threw out his conviction, saying the judge should have let expert witnesses testify. Federal prosecutors have cracked down on traders over mortgage mortgage bond pricing, bringing at least seven criminal fraud cases in the past three years. A conviction of former Jeffries & Company Managing Director Litvak will support those other cases. Our guests are Professor James Cox of Duke Law School and David Bissinger, a partner at Bissinger, Oshman & Williams. Jim, in this opaque world of bond trading, the defense is arguing that Litvak was dealing with professionals who conduct their own research and know the value of the bonds they buy and sell. Does proof of that get him to an acquittal? No, it doesn't. You know, the government never has to prove in these cases that somebody actually relied upon a false statement. So that's a part of the defense that uh, was raised, and I think the Second Circuit did a disservice to the law, quite frankly, by thinking that that was a relevant part. Now, it does go to the question about materiality, but materiality doesn't even depend upon whether the lie was consequential. Uh, the fact is that material, and people go to prison for telling material lies, uh, uh, by simply making a statement where the investor says, hmm, let me think about that. Oh, it doesn't change my mind. It can still, all it requires is that the investor pause over the information. So clearly, just to wrap up here, clearly statements that uh, you were getting um, uh, the bonds at a fair price, when in fact they weren't, they were marked up substantially, uh, would have been something that at least investor would have paused about. And more likely, the investor would say, wait a minute, if you disclose this fact to me that you had marked it up 10%, then I'm not willing to pay that 10% extra price, and it would have had a consequence. But the consequence is not part of the, the government's case, and it shouldn't be either. The Second Circuit made a mistake. Okay, well, given that perhaps they made a mistake, at least in the, Jim's opinion, David, what are we going to hear now at the trial from these expert witnesses that Litvak's going to call? The uh, there's two witnesses. There's a a business school uh, professor and uh, bond an, uh, analyst named Ram Wilner, and then a uh, regulatory and compliance attorney named uh, Mark uh, Menchel. And both of them are going to testify in substance that uh, Litvak's misstatements or alleged misstatements, although at this point it's probably fair to say they are misstatements because we've already had the first trial in which he lost that, but that those misstatements are uh, widely considered in the industry as, quote, biased, close quote, and open quote, often misleading, close quote, to June's point at the beginning of the broadcast, that you're going to have um, the used car defense and that the uh, people uh, dealing with Litvak, whether they were buying from or selling to Litvak, uh, knew that Litvak's statements that uh, he was only going to be able to do uh, certain things and his his limit his his pricing and stuff was limited limited uh, because of the other side of the trade. Uh, those those state that that testimony will come in, and it, I think it will be of some use to Litvak in at least showing the jury that Litvak was not doing something uh, outside of what happens in a typical bond trading room. The jury may well think 
well, that's the problem for the whole bond trading room. But it was an important issue for Litvak in the first trial because the prosecutors argued uh, really in effect that Litvak was uh, at the epicenter of the fraud, I believe was the phrase they used in their rebuttal. Jim, in about uh, 30 seconds that we have here, Securities Industry and Financial Markets Associations affirm that broker-dealers aren't required to disclose the prices they pay for bonds. Will that affect the jury? You know, it's going to have an influence on the jury, but I think what the uh, also will be disclosed there is that there are guidelines, even for by FINRA, about how much of a markup you can have. So the idea would be maybe you don't have to disclose it, but the question is, what's your is your behavior within kind of the rules of the road of the industry? And this gets into the question about whether the whole industry is corrupt. FINRA's position would be no. Jim. Why is this case important enough for prosecutors to be pursuing it for a second time? Uh, you know, the, the, the problem of markets, particularly in the bond market, uh, uh, you know, is an ongoing problem. I don't, I don't think it's pervasive in the sense that, and, and we, we don't know whether that's true or false, but it's hard to believe that it's, it's a, across the market, every trader is marking it up the same way Litvak was doing. Uh, uh, but it's important to send a signal out to the market that this is a market that's uh, uh, important to America, it's important to the world, and, 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 and that needs to be a fair market. So I think that that in and of itself justifies being deliberate here and uh, with a lot of certitude going forward. The second thing is the, the, the reasoning of the Second Circuit is just crazy, quite frankly. And perhaps there's an opportunity here by showing that the defense didn't really work, which is what we have to wait and see what happens in the second trial. Will will neuter that 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 court's opinion. This is just one of several opinions handed down by the Second Circuit that I think were very questionable. We saw the Supreme Court pretty much reversing part of that in an insider trading case, U.S. against Newman, this term. Uh, it's 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 not the paragon of wisdom that the Second Circuit used to be. So I think that that's a, that's important as well. And third, what you mentioned earlier, June, and that is you have other prosecutions that could were. Uh, where there is a settlement that could be unwound should uh, Litvak be successful. David, the you know Jim's alluded to the the reasoning of the court, and when you read the court's opinion, the Second Circuit's opinion, it's sort of one of the things that's sort of interesting about it is it almost seems to say that the reason it's okay to make misstatements to these buyers is that they are so sophisticated they wouldn't really rely on this information. So is the Second Circuit really saying, can we expect to hear the trial, that it depends on who's buying, whether or not you can lie to them? Well, uh, I would say that the Second Circuit's first, opi- uh, first opinion did not go quite that far uh, because the, uh, you know, that, that original opinion in, in December 2015 uh, said the rejected Litvak's argument that his misstatements uh, were somehow uh, immaterial as a matter of law. In other words, the Second Circuit said that should go to the jury. So I don't think that the Second Circuit was totally off its rocker. I think the thing that happened in the trial court, and this is me coming at this case as a trial lawyer, is that the way the district court, the the trial court, prevented uh, Mr. Litvak from putting on this expert testimony, the so-called everybody-does-it expert testimony. And then the government, in the closing argument, in the rebuttal, when Mr. Litvak did not have the opportunity to speak anymore, the government stood up and said, essentially, Mr. Litvak was at the middle of this, nobody else at uh, Jeffries did this, and, and this was, you know, Mr. Litvak essentially 
acting alone. And the testimony, of course, from these experts is, no, that isn't the case. Uh, and so I think just as a practical matter, looking at the way the case was tried, I think that's as big of a problem uh, uh, for the government or was as big of a problem for the government as it was, say, the Second Circuit being completely off on policy uh, grounds. And I think that, um, you know, one of, the, one of the points about this case that is so sensitive to the government is this was TARP money. Uh, so the government is well within its rights, I think, to at least want to pursue the uh, you know expenditure of TARP money, especially in an atmosphere in which securities commissions and trading costs continue to go down. I mean, in today's news, as you prepare for this article, you see continued pressure on commissions and so forth. So why should traders be able to get these big, fat uh, markups? And Mr. Litvak is going to face a serious problem because these witnesses that the government is calling from, say, places like Alliance Bernstein, not necessarily – I mean, these are sophisticated people – are going to say, we discovered what Mr. Litvak was doing. We stopped doing business with them and uh, with Mr. Litvak because of that, uh, and, and this is not the way it ought to be done. So I think that Mr. Litvak has an uphill uh, – Definitely an uphill uh, road to climb here still, but the the Second Circuit's reasoning on the expert witness issue again is from from the trial lawyer's perspective, I think, uh, was was worthy of uh, a reversal. Jim, did this case cause banks to reevaluate their policies um, and to go away from the idea of negotiating tactics considered like puffery? Well, my, you know, my my. My guess the banks probably aren't taken in by puffery because puffery is sort of general statements. It's hard to think that when somebody's actually manipulating the price that we could ever conceal that. Um, pardon me, uh, box it up as puffery. I do think I do think that the cases that were brought and the, and the pervasiveness of serious markups should cause the banks to want to take a look at what the fairness of the market is. And, you know, we, we didn't talk about earlier, but the possibility that maybe the banks actually expressed interest in continuing prosecutions of these cases because they're the victims of, the, of these cases. Uh, uh, and so, um, you know, we, we don't know. But I, I think the notoriety uh, that surrounds the Litvak case uh, prosecution and, and, and the other cases around with it certainly sort of shined a light on conduct that, that – should have aroused the the self-preservation instincts of the banks. David, one of the one of the questions that sort of comes up as you read through all this and think about how the trial is going to go is whether or not how particular this this decision is. That is, is it particular to the bond market, or is this going to have, could this conceivably have wider implications depending how, on how Lidvac does at the trial? Well, I, I think the focus of this really is the bond market in the sense that securities markets are so. Uh, transparent. I mean, there's so much public pricing. And putting aside questions about high-frequency trading and so forth, uh, the spread on your typical equity trade is, you know, usually within pennies. But the bond market is, in this case, exemplified. Uh, the spread in, a, say, a $60 bond, $70 bond could be as much as a dollar, dollar fifty, sometimes even more. And uh, so the bond market historically has been much more opaque, yet it's a much bigger part of the securities market. So the amount of money made by bond traders is, you know, really, really substantial. And again, in this atmosphere of compressed trading costs, continually compressed trading costs, I think, the, I think the target here will be the bond market. But that's a big target. Jim? about a minute to go. So in a retrial, Litvak knows what the government is going to present against him. This time he is also able to introduce expert witnesses. 
is it still an uphill battle for him? I think I think it is. I mean, you know, I, again, he's before a jury. Uh, he's not among the uh, favored species in America these days. Uh, you know, he did not. We were not candid. I think the used car analogy uh, evaporates. You know, it's one thing for the person say belong to a little old lady school teacher, okay, or a little old man school teacher. It's another thing to set the odometer back. This is setting the odometer back. I don't think people are going to like that. So I think I think he's got an uphill battle. Uh, um, so it'll be interesting to see. I I I wondered when I saw that uh, as well whether you want to tell a jury that someone's like a used car salesman. Thank you both yeah. for being. <laughs> Thanks you both for being on Bloomberg Law. That's Professor James Cox of Duke Law School and David Bissinger, a partner at Bissinger, Oshman & Williams.